if we want the synod on synodality to actually reflect something worthwhile, this is on us to do, to contribute to. Because right now, a lot of people, the number one criticism of is, is anything really going to happen? Welcome back, my friends, Woo! to Beyond the Bulletin, the official podcast of St. Anthony of Padua. My name is Nate Hoffman, and I am the Communications and Development Coordinator here at St. Anthony's. Today, I am joined by your favorite guy with three different podcasts. It's Michael Gormley. <laughs> What's up? Well, four now. That no we way. Have, <laughs> that we have, etc. That's out there. It's I forgot uh, your favorite guy with four different podcasts. That's great. <laughs> it feels nice to say it out loud, doesn't it? Yeah, uh, it's good to be here, good to be back, good yeah, to be at we, the awkward desks that we have here. We set up, uh, well, we took a little break. It's been like a month since we recorded Do you know what one I did these. during Christmas? Do you know what I did? I didn't set my alarm clock once. Really? Yeah. Yeah, okay. two and a half weeks. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. That's big time. That's big time. I've been optimistic about waking up early. In my in the last few weeks, I've been looking at like that five o'clock hour, thinking how much I could get done, mm. you know, all that stuff, and mm. it, it's happened like three times in a row. And I'm sure I'm I'm maybe three more times away from being back to cynical about the alarm clock. But so, what do you do at five o'clock in the morning? I got up, I did morning prayer. I had a cup a cup of coffee ready. You yeah. know, I set it the night before, so Moist. I just poured it and poured it down my gullet. So you you brewed it la the night before, and I it was sitting ice cold. Timed on the it. I've got one of those fancy Mister Coffee machines. Nice, uh, me that. too. So uh, yeah, did morning prayer. Uh, read a little bit. I went to the gym. I don't want to brag. Mike, you asked me, but I did go to the gym. Uh, and then, what, did, what did you work on? Was today leg day? Uh, no, leg day? I, I kind of walked around aimlessly and looking at how, how fit everyone else is and you know, wondered what I should be doing. I did the glamour muscles. Are you kidding? I did bench. I did curls. I did biceps. I did biceps. I also did biceps. I focused on biceps. What are you, are you kidding me? Today was bicep day. Every day of the week is bicep That's day. Right. Yeah. I'm an so, Instagram model. But we're back uh, to Beyond the Bulletin. We are. Ing, we, uh, we wanted to bring into the new year with a smash hit podcast, so we picked a topic. That is so confusing. <laughs> it's the Synod on Synodality. Uh, uh, now, if you are listening to this and you're wondering, those words don't make any sense, and I can't mm. believe you said them in, in conjunction with each other, uh, we, we were thinking the same thing. Uh, Michael, what is a synod? What is synodality? And why the heck are we talking about a synod on synodality here on this podcast? So, the synod on synodality yes. is an awkward neologism from Pope Francis. Synodality is not a word. He invented it. Um, oh. So the idea of a synod on synod. A synod is a general council, a local council of bishops. It's where they get together to wrestle over something. Now, often in Rome, they have these periodic synods where bishops from all over the world come together. They um, create a uh, – uh, they focus on one particular area drawing from their pastoral experience from where they're from. So they take it like a theological topic. Um, you have a list like the Bishop, the Eucharist, the Word of God, the New Evangelization. There have been dozens of synods yeah. that happen all the time. It's like every three years, mm -hmm. something like that. And so what happens is these bishops get together and they kind of reflect their pastoral circumstances. They create documents, the synod working document, and then eventually that gets passed up to the Pope. Now, JP2, one of the reasons why he wrote so much is he would bring his theological uh, brilliance to bear on the outcomes of these synods. 
So he would have a um, a document that was the fruit of um, I'm trying to think of one like a synod on the family, and then he creates familiaris consortium. Oh, so he made a papal document. What do you call those again? Uh, a post synodal apostolic exhortation. Okay, so he used <laughs> the results. So do yeah. we? Ex- Sorry, I'm jumping ahead. Yeah, no, you're good. Um, but uh, but this this makes sense to me. So the, the bishops all get together and. They uh, like, for example, the new evangelization. Yeah, they get together and they they, from their own experience, yeah. m- define what that looks like. Yeah, is it specific to twenty fifteen? Like, what does the new evangelization look in twenty fifteen? What are we seeing? So, what they're trying to do is they're trying to gather theological, philosophical reflections in order to affect the pastoral life of the church. Like, how do we preach the gospel in this section of life, in this place? You know. The modern family, the this, the that. So what happens is the synod, the word synod in Greek, syn, S-Y-N, like synoptic for the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Synoptic means one vision. Synod means one path or one road. Uh, Hodos in Greek meaning road. And so a synod is, okay, how can we get all these different people, all these bishops in, a let's say, a local area in in the south of France, the, the there was the Synod of Orange. So they get all these bishops together because there's some new heresy that's cropped up or a new pastoral problem. Let's say the gospel goes to a place where polygamy is widely popular. So the gospel's being introduced. So let me ask you, Nate, what does the church require of a man who has seven wives and becomes a Roman Catholic? What does he do with his seven wives? Uh, divorce, or not, he's not married to the six of them, right? So I listened to a Protestant uh, author, a Protestant pastor who goes to these places and he says, well, you know, the church accommodates and allows this man to be married to seven people. And it's funny because I'm so used to the natural law theology and all this stuff that natural marriage is to one woman, right? One man, one woman, that's natural law. Marriage is a natural good, a good of the human person. And so what they will do is they will convene a synod. And this has happened historically throughout the whole history of the church. Don't think this is a modern thing. But they'll convene a synod, a local synod, of a bunch of bishops will get together to try to figure out what to do. Or a bunch of bishops will get together to condemn a heresy and, you know, whatever. Um, sometimes in the Middle Ages, a bunch of bishops would get together and excommunicate another bunch of bishops. And, right. yeah, and they would get their meeting together. So there's like this famous robber's synod and council and stuff. But it's essentially a council of bishops trying to really solve the problems of the church. Usually locally, but sometimes universally. So now the Vatican is... I want to say it was before JP2, but they basically standardized the process. Every three years, we get bishops from all over the world to reflect and discern where the spirit is and the signs of the times on a particular issue. So this list of synods that we have are all uh, big topics. I mean, one of them is the Eucharist. And I can can see how in, let's see, that was 2005, how it would be, even though the Eucharist is a timeless truth, um, that um, we've been preaching for uh, generations, it, it would be useful to have bishops to get together and say, here's how I'm preaching this timeless truth and how, how it's working here in this way. And we, and what are the crises around what the church has always right. believed about the Eucharist? Because mm-hmm. there's know? probably dozens of heresies everywhere yeah. about, about the Eucharist. Yeah. And, so here's the thing. How do we celebrate adoration? Right, because you know, and I know, that adoration is very popular. At our church, we have a near perpetual adoration. Perpetual adoration chapels have cropped up everywhere. But how do you have the Eucharist and the worship of the Eucharist separate from the holy sacrifice of the Mass? The Eastern churches don't have adoration. One, because they use leavened bread. We use unleavened bread. And it would be kind of hard to put a loaf uh, under glass. Uh, But 
they would never divorce adoration of the Blessed Sacrament from consumption of the Blessed Sacrament. So there are a lot of people who today, a lot of Catholics, who are in somewhat opposition to the practice of adoration, right? And so I would never think of that. I'm like, what are you talking about? I was at a Zoomville conference, and the Eucharist came yeah. around, and I was screaming and crying, and Steve Beal was holding me as I was crying on his shoulder. True story. Uh, <laughs> you have all this stuff that goes on. But then the question becomes, but what happens, like at a Zoomville conference, if adoration replaces the Mass? Because you hear kids coming out, and pastorally they're saying, oh, my gosh, adoration was amazing. Adoration was amazing. What do you think about Mass? Uh yeah, we did that. Anywho, Stop adoration was right. so it's like I stare at Jesus. That's more important than receiving my Lord on my tongue. So they had to have these things from time to time because the things like this, they're not like necessarily heresies, but they are tendencies within the body of Christ where let's say liturgy or devotion can go askew, and it's like okay, pastorally, how do we bring this in? That's great. That's all fascinating to me. I mean, right. I, I think that's a really good idea. I'm glad that the church yeah. has been doing. And this I for think so out of years. this one on the Eucharist, if I'm, I might be mistaken. I don't think I'm mistaken that this one was afterwards. Pope John Paul gave us um, Eucharistia Dei Ecclesia the, on the Church in the Eucharist or Ecclesia Dei Eucharistia. Oh. So that's another document that you can go to and read. But you, you see this a post synodal apostolic exhortation. So if you want to read, uh, you go click Apostolic Exhortations under JP2 or Benedict or Francis, and you'll see post-synodal. So they have a synod, this is the fruit of the synod, and then this is me as the Pope writing my official you know, church teaching from the synod. This next topic is synodality. <laughs> synod on synodality, not on the Eucharist, not yeah. on the family. So... Yeah. What does that mean? So I, I gather it's a synod. A, so synod means what? Journey, uh, a walking towards. Yeah, walking together. Walking basically. together. So walking, a walking together on walking together. <laughs> um, I, and I can. It just sounds goofy to me when I first saw this in my. Uh, I was back home in Wichita, Kansas. I saw it in my diocesan newspaper. I thought. I thought it was my bishop that the bishop of Wichita who had decided to do this, and I thought he had lost his mind. I, I was like, what the heck is it? There's so many yeah. more important things you could be focused on. Yeah. Then I realized it was the it was a church-wide mission, and I'm like, what are we all doing? What is, <laughs> what is this? So so what exactly would yeah. synodality mean? Okay, let me, let me give you the, the big picture view, and then we can get very narrow into this synod on synodality. So um, there is a lot of criticism out there of this. And I have a lot of problems, just speaking as someone who is employed by a parish in a diocese having to work around this. I do have a lot of problems with it because I have read the materials and I'm like, oh, my dear Lord, this sounds like an HR scheme gone awry. And uh, the language that they use is so, you know, business speak, HR speak, uh, values, you know, that kind of stuff. You, you expect synergy. To read, yeah, you expect to hear syner synergy at one point, <laughs> yeah. but uh, it never comes so, up. So the synod on synodality from the big picture perspective. So we have these things, these mechanisms called synods, right? It's not, it's not bureaucratic, although this sounds like it. Um, but a synod is very important in the history and life of the church. Eastern church, Western church, we've used synods from the beginning and it's important synods help bring to not just the pope's attention but to everyone's attention different things like on the eucharist or on the the role of the bishop or whatever it might be so there it's an important part of the church a synod on synodality the reason why pope francis is emphasizing this number one pope francis man of the people number two 
Um, you have widespread democracy and participation of massive amounts of people. Uh, JP2 writes about this in, um, in the role of the laity, the vocation and role of the laity in the life of the church, where he has a whole section on participation. And widespread, you know, coming out of communism, after the fall of communism, uh, Russian communism, Soviet Union, all that stuff, you have massive totalitarian regimes that did not allow people to participate. Now you have people participating, power going into the hands of the people. So this matters, and guiding this and hearing people's voices matters and, and is accessible in a way that into previous generations it wasn't due to modern technology. So that notion of a church coming together, communio, communion, koinonia, this is essential to what it means to be a Catholic. As Catholics, we are not radical individualists. It's not just me and Jesus. Jesus Christ, this is the most offensive thing I say when I bring Protestants into the Catholic Church. I say Jesus is not the anachronistic founder of a world religion called Christianity. Jesus is the starter of the church. He didn't start churches, he started the church. And when we look at it from that perspective, Jesus doesn't want to just come into your heart as your personal Lord and Savior. Jesus wants to bring you into communion with himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that communion is called the church. So that notion of community matters. The College of Bishops, all the priests in union with the bishops, and all of us in union with the Pope. That matters. That layer matters. So what? explain to me, I've read this in, in I think in some Vatican II documents, or maybe some, some things in the history of the church, that the, the voice or the, the faith of the people has like a say yeah. In in what goes on in the church. So we call it the um, census fidei, the sense of the faithful towards the truth. So this, this idea was kind of bandied about by the fathers, especially around the Council of Ephesus, where you have this one guy, the heretic Nestorius, who was condemned for saying that Mary was the mother of Christ, but not the mother of God. And to which the church fathers replied, I've never met a woman who gives birth to a nature and not to a person. Jesus is the divine person, therefore she's the Theotokos, the mother of God. And the interesting thing that happened is when the bishops formally and definitively declared Mary the Theotokos and condemned Nestorianism as saying he was wrong, now there's shades of things that we, we can go into nuance on that, um, the people of Ephesus carried the bishops out on their shoulders celebrating because Theotokos was very important to their devotional spirituality. And here he was saying, no, you got to call her Christotokos. Like you're, you're, there was this sense that the faith, what was essential to the faith of the people was being robbed. Mm. So that's this, and you can go in the catechism of the Catholic church. It's not crazy modernism. You go to the catechism of the Catholic church, you can understand the census fidei. But at the same time, what, happened is that concept has kind of become hijacked in our modern world and it basically in in many um i hate to use this phrase but i'm going to use it in many liberal circles and marxist catholic circles you will find people using the census fidei to essentially mean we're going to democratize everything we're going to put everything the church is and believes to a vote like they do in anglicanism right they have their lambeth conferences and things are put to a vote. Is it okay to be openly gay, married, and be a bishop? Put it to a vote. No, no, no. This year, yes. Now you've got openly gay bishops, female bishops. Can women become clergy? That's not a part of the tradition. No, it's a subject to a vote. The Catholic Church will never go that way. But right now, what we are witnessing is unprecedented in 500 years of the church. In Germany, and I feel like Jay should play. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> They're doing a synod yeah. on their own, and their synod has been repeatedly, repeated attempts to rein it in by Pope Francis 
and his Apostolic Nuncio to Germany. Because what they did was, hey, census fidei, we're bringing in these open dissenting groups from the church who want to change church dogma, doctrine, teaching, apostolic teaching. They want to change it to suit the times. So the bishops are like, we want to listen. We want to dialogue. What they're doing, though, is they're letting this group set the agenda. And this is what the bishops have said. We are going to call everything into question, even established church teaching and morality. In light of our modern times, because there are many people post-Vatican II that say the world sets the agenda for the church. And that statement is true only when it concerns our missionary efforts, right? We read the signs of the times to know how to pastorally evangelize the culture. With the truth. With the truth. We don't let the truth be corrupted by the world. And so that's what keeps happening to the church. Every time we think, oh, we're going to open up the windows to the world, the world's like, Oh, yeah, you're not even an afterthought. That's my buddy Luke's favorite thing. He was at a a meeting at the USCCB, young adult, and they're all talking about, well, we should do this, and we should do that, and we should do this. And Luke lost his mind, and he yelled at all the people there, and he goes, you are less than an afterthought to the majority of young adults. Pull your head out of the sand. So, okay, you have all that. What is the synod on synodality? Vatican I really narrowed in on the focus of the Pope's supremacy as the universal pastor. So in the East, they view Rome as the final court of appeal, like Orthodox. They view Rome as the final court of appeal, that Rome has a primacy, but they don't have jurisdiction. Oh, interesting. In 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 Roman Catholicism, in Catholicism, Eastern and Roman Catholicism, which is the only Western really one, um, we believe the Pope has universal jurisdiction. I mean, you see this in the successor, the first or second successor to Peter, St. Clement, and we have his letter, letter of St. Clement, um, intervening in the church matters in Corinth. Even at the time of the last apostle, John was alive and in the East. So you have these things that that there's a lot of historical precedent. That's interesting. Father David has talked about this in terms of mm-hmm. why a bishop's um, stance on whether or not you need, like the uh, dispensation from attending mass, mm-hmm. it matters which diocese you're in. It's yeah. not your home diocese because your bishop no longer has jurisdiction, jurisdiction over in you. wherever you might be traveling. Yeah, and you might not know this, like a, a priest is not allowed to celebrate mass wherever they want. Because a priest not only is consecrated a priest, so that gives them the ability, but must also be incardinated. And incardinated basically means the priesthood exists as a share in the bishop's authority. I do know this because on the day before my wedding, <laughs> I, 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 oh, I, t- I know this story. <laughs> I told Mary and Sue that four four priests are coming down and they all need to be saying mass the next day, and uh, we need some signatures to occur. And they occurred. And I, I uh, good lord, oh man, <laughs> yeah. we bad mouthed you so much. Yeah, it was beautiful. But really, the the thing that we all said was those priests should know better. <laughs> uh, yeah. But uh, so that incarnated is important because of the limits of jurisdiction. So when we think about the Pope, the Pope has supremacy. Vatican I focused on that. And then a man named Garibaldi started launching artillery at the Vatican in the 1870s in the middle of Vatican I during the wars of Italian reunification. After like 30 minutes of shelling, they got the Papal States. No more Papal States, but that led to decades of the Pope being imprisoned in the walls of the Vatican. Um Stories that people don't know, right? That's cool. So then Vatican II was reconvened, originally meant to just conclude the topics of Vatican I. St. John Twenty-Third opened it up to new ideas. Uh, Cardinal Sunins gives this famous address. And then they redo Vatican II to not just close the information from Vatican I, but to actually focus on this crazy new pastoral situation, which is globalism, 
a massive decline of the faith. See, people always point at Vatican II and say, you change the mass, you change the way we are Catholic. That's why all these people left the church. France had less than 10%, the, the lily of the church, France, had less than 10% mass attendance of Catholics in France. In the 50s? In the 40s, 50s, 30s, so all this stuff. So Vatican II was supposed to be this great awakening call to this radical new pastoral situation, enlightenment, modernity, all that stuff. But in it, they really focus on the communal nature of the church. So we talked about the church as the people of God. Very important. Pope Francis is a Vatican II priest, Vatican II bishop, right? Like this is very much a part of his life, a part of his Jesuit seminary you say formation. That he, he was formed after yeah. Vatican II. Yeah, yeah. Whereas someone like Benedict and JP II especially yeah. was part of Vatican II. Yeah, Benedict as a bishop. Was, yes. Yeah, right. and, and uh, Cardinal Ratzinger, you know, then he was just a young theologian mm-hmm. and he participated as um, – as a theologian. So they were all there, you know, as a part of the life of the council, you know, and Pope Francis inherited what came after. So he wants to do a synod on synodality. And, you know, Pope Francis is very big on dialogue and all that stuff, which we'll get into. But a synod on synodality is basically saying, how can we flatten aspects of the church that previously were just a priest or a bishop in some area, some dicastery, some chancery, making one decision that affected everyone. And the idea was, well, how can we make it more synodal? The church in general, because the you know people find this all the time. When laity complain to the chancery, they're usually complaining about a priest who is dominating with his pastoral authority, right? These are common complaints. So it's like, okay, well, how can we have the laity? And if you look at um, Pope John Paul's Chris Fides laity, the role of the laity, that talks about lay and pastors being cooperators together and all this stuff. So Pope Francis is really saying, I want the church to look like what Vatican II promised, the people of God, some of which are priests and deacons and bishops and seminarians and religious. So now we have the synod on synodality, the idea of how do we make that happen. I like that. That's actually, I guess from you, that's a very charitable view of, of, of the synod on synodality. This is like, as, that's a best-case possible scenario of what yes. could happen and what the goal of this whole— Synod is. Yeah, this is me at peak charitableness concerning the Synod on Synodality. So the three major principles are communion, participation, and mission. And you can hear that in what I said, right? Participation. For the first time in the history of the world, post-communism especially, we have more people, women especially, being able to participate in their political determinism. What about participating in the life of the church? Now, most lay Catholics, when they hear you know, people participating in decisions in the life of the church, they think in terms of doctrine, sacraments. And I can tell you, as someone who has worked for the church now for 15, 16 years, the, the majority of the life of the church is not that stuff. Yeah. There is so much in the life of the church, daily decisions, weekly decisions, annual decisions that go into these things. Well, I look at uh, our local parish yeah. and look at our leadership team, which is the group of staff members and, and our pastor. And I our, I don't know if our associate pastor is on that. I don't know who's on the leadership team, but I know so that the director team the director is team. three lay people, three w- Barb, Janine, and me, and then two priests, Father Jesse as our pastor and Father David, our parochial vicar, who is also director of the liturgy so, so two of those directors are women principal of our school making the decisions over there are are is a yeah. woman um and so we have we i, I see that being yeah. enacted here in our parish it's it's not a uh, a boys club or anything like that there's right. there's representation just not at the love like at the priesthood right 
level, which will, which is not going to occur. The priesthood will remain a masculine office. I not that the Germans have their way. <laughs> <laughs> but no, you're absolutely right. And so how can we get the laity more involved? Like you're required to have a finance council in the Archdiocese of Galveston, Houston. You're required to have a pro-life action committee or council. Um, but most churches also have a pastoral counselor committee. And those people are there as lay people, as participants and involved in the life of the church to communicate the needs of the pastor. But that typically is in churches where you have maybe one employee, two employees working alongside the pastor. Um, but we have a full staff of 32, 34, 35 people. And so when you look at the involvement of lay people in the life of the church, you realize that lay people run the majority of the life of the church outside of the sacerdotal duties of the priesthood. Mm. And the, and the diaconate. And so we do everything that we can do. And we all joke. Like, we all say things like, when the liturgy starts, my role stops. Like, I've done all the formation for RCIA, for inclusion, for adult confirmation. But now, the, as a layperson, I know where my line in the sand ends. Unless that, you're standing in line for confession unless, and someone's asking you where, where all the priests are and you got to go hunt them down. For, uh, <laughs> but that's not that's, But that's then again... A synod on synod out, a synodal parish, wouldn't have a bunch of lay people giving Father Jesse their opinion on how to give penance, you know, how to actually yeah. like talk to a, a penitent. But it might be intentionally drawing on feedback and criticism and, you know, affirmation, all the stuff. Uh, how can we do confessions better at St. Anthony's? Not necessarily, you know, your homilies stink and I'm going to be critical of you, but like, what can we do? You know, like that is a more synodal approach. How can we get more people to participate in the life of the parish? Because especially as the the members of the priesthood diminishes, the role of the laity is going to increase. We're going to be more dependent on the laity to be participating in the mission of the church. If we do that, without being in communion with our pastor, parochial vicar, and our bishop, that is only going to spell ruin for the church, right? Bunch of lay people doing their own thing is going to – lay people say it's all the time, especially since the sex abuse scandals. Oh, the clergy, blah, blah, blah. And it's like lay people can't do it any better because we're all human. We're all broken. Everyone thinks, well, if you just give someone with a business degree, they'll go. and It's like, but the problem is the church isn't a business. It's partly that, but it's not all that. And so to take these principles and to really weave them together, it's like a, like youth ministry. I'm brilliant. I'm handsome. I'm funny. I, too, am extraordinarily humble. Two out of three ain't bad. Two out of three ain't bad. But I'm not everything to everyone. And so you need a core team of adults who love kids and love Jesus in order to have certain types of kids won't respond. I can't imagine who, but won't respond to me. That's why you need other people and not just carbon copies of yourself. This is the communio aspect, the communion aspect. Now, when you hear all this stuff, sounds great. So this is how the synod, this is the particulars. The synod on synodality is run this way. The Pope had a group of people at the Vatican create this template for the synod on synodality. And he wants every diocese in the world to participate. And so how they participate is the bishops get these documents from the Vatican, and then they give it to their priests. They hold these seminars and trainings. And then essentially it's a series of like listening sessions, discernment. It's very Ignatian. It's a lot of discernment and all this stuff. So you do all this. But here's cynical Michael, right? 
And I want to be honest with everyone because we're doing the Synod on Synodality. We're we're going to have this. I'm getting all my ducks in a row in January. In February, I'm going to start meeting with folks. But I'm not the only one. There's literally like 15 people that are doing this. Um, the cynical side of me is it feels like a make-work program for, for diocesan bureaucrats. Not, or excuse me, not for Vatican bureaucrats. Like, uh, we're going to have the whole world participate in this grand scheme. But I will say, here's some of the things that I like about it. You're inviting like non-Christians who live in your community to come and talk about what you think the Catholic Church means to you, what should it be doing, what does it represent. I think stuff like that is interesting because oftentimes Catholic parish workers are insular. When, when Catholics who love their faith tend to only have friends who are Catholics, right, except at work. And this is trying to – looked positively. We're forcing the local church and the – meaning both the diocese and a parish – to say, what do my neighbors actually view me as, right? How do I actually benefit? Andy Stanley, Protestant pastor, has this great line where he says, if your church were to shut down tomorrow, would that affect your community? Or would people say things like, what was back there? Was that like a movie theater or something? What was that building? What, what was that? And not know. So these are the 10 things of uh, what a synod on synodality looks right, like. Right, so this came from uh, the Vatican's documents. Uh, we have, and, and again, I mean, you can almost picture yourself, especially uh, the seven attitudes for walking the synodal path. You can picture yourself on your first day at uh, ExxonMobil, you know, getting onboarded. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. this is from the USCCB's yeah. official Twitter account. Number one, innovative outlook. Number two, <laughs> inclusivity. Number three, open-mindedness. Number four, listening. Number five, a competent accompaniment accompaniment uh number six co-responsibility number seven dialogue so we we joke all we want i mean it does sound very vague and and kind of highfalutin i guess each one of those though is a is a virtuous thing uh it's just that they are so conflated with like hr rules and that kind of thing <laughs> that we think. well it sounds like those like you your your <laughs> your c-level executives go away on a corporate retreat and they come back with the eight values that will achieve success in the next year and it's like our mission statement is innovation <laughs> right. you know and you're like oh, okay excellent customer service yeah i'm surprised that these seven things don't uh, line up to spell a word like uh, pride or oh something. You know that would I mean? be like, i-i-o-l-a-c-d yeah the the there's something there you can only imagine the cesspool that is twitter but the amount of responses to this people were like hey i don't see anything that can't be put in like an atheist you know organization like every one of these nothing's explicitly christian here no and so that's so this is the part where i'm i'm trying to prep our community like if we want the synod on synodality to actually reflect something worthwhile this is on us to do to contribute to because right now uh a lot of people the number one criticism of is is anything really going to happen? So that's my question to you. What is the, going to be the apostolic exhortation that mm. comes out of this synod? So you could look at this cynically, mm. and you could think the church is going to ask all these external factors, all your neighbors who aren't Christian, all these things, and what should the church and be? Protestants, uh, you know, and Catholics who Falling have left away the church. Catholics, people who are frustrated with the church, yeah. and we're asking them, what should the church be? And then cynically you could say, is the church going to become that like because you we yeah. all know if you ask your your uncle who hates the church at thanksgiving what the church should be he's going to come with something that is yeah. not christian so the the funny thing is the, there's a whole year 
2022 is the year of assessing the data. And it's all going to go from all the parishes. It's going to go to the archdiocese. The archdiocese formulates it and then sends it to the Vatican. Yeah. My other problem with this is Mm -hmm. that the data itself is not codified. Like if we were to do a parish survey, we would only give our parishioners like we give them a question, then five responses, you know, you know, and you click a button because it's impossible even for our little parish here to like learn anything if every single person was writing in a little paragraph for every question we asked like that. Nothing, we couldn't learn anything from that. You're sounding very negative right I'm now. Just You're saying, sounding very I'm just saying negative. it seems like the, the, the Pope is asking the world yeah. their opinion, and then there's and he's just going to read all the responses, and I'm, I'm wondering how in the world is he going to get anything, or what kind of team is going to get anything from, from the so responses. So the, the big fear is the end result is already anticipated by the people, by the, and I won't say Pope Francis. I don't think it's him. But the people who are helping put this together, is this just a giant, like, look what we did, look how open we are to the world and to the church and like to other people and to voices of contradiction and, and whatever. Um, but in reality, they already know what they want to do. There's already an agenda behind this, right? Yeah. And and it's easy, honestly, it's easy to feel that way. The amount of manipulation of mass media, communication, social media that's going on, COVID times, pandemic, politically, all this stuff that's happening is is appalling. And it's very easy to slip into that. But I know what we're going to do here at the parish, right? We are going to talk to devout Roman Catholics at every major level. We're going to talk to teens. We're going to talk to core members. We're going to talk to elderly. We're going to talk to we're going to talk to people who are involved in the life of the church. And we're going to be in dialogue with people outside the life of the church. Now, what do we mean by dialogue? Dialogue is one of those uh, weasel words, right? Like, oh, I'm in dialogue. You know, what does that mean? What dialogue means in Greek means two reasons, right? Dia logos, the logos, reason, rationality, intelligibility. We are reasoning together. Two people from two different perspectives sitting down and reasoning together. The interesting thing is I have never been forced to sit down with an atheist except at Thanksgiving dinner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but if Catholics don't evangelize, if Catholics don't evangelize, this is trying to get them at least somewhat up and out of their seat. Now, for me as an evangelist, this is <laughs> the thing that's frustrating about this is it's trying to manage what the church should already be doing. What every lay member should already be doing is accompanying their neighbor into the life of Christ. Yeah, absolutely. I, I guess ceasing to be negative and starting to be positive. This is what uh, the documents of Vatican II and every uh, church teaching for forever have said, which is the lay people should be bringing the church out to the world. Like this is not, this is, it's not the job of the clergy to evangelize primarily. It's the job of lay people. So this does seem like it's like kicking the seat of the lay people and and saying, go, go out there and And the pastors and, and and the priests. But it's it's yeah. But you just called yourself an evangelist. I mean, yep. I should be calling myself an evangelist, mm-hmm. even though I'm not the, the director of evangelization. Yeah. Um, I should be an evangelist to my neighbor, Michael, um, and <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and everyone else in my life. I should be bringing the church to them instead of just hoping that they end up in uh, Catholic church one yep. day. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. And it's very bad. The Catholic Church has grown in the United States through two things: procreation and immigration not through evangelization. When people become Catholic, oftentimes it's because they marry a Catholic, if they become Catholic as an adult. And so here's the 10 things. Now just tell me, this is this is from the Vatican. Number one, be companions to each other on the journey. 
Love that song. <laughs> number two, listening to the spirit and each other. That's very Ignatian, right? Uh, number three, speaking out. Uh, okay. Uh, I think speaking out would be we have to listen to the people on the outside, even people with hurt. You know, yeah. let them speak out. Number four, celebrating together. Number five, sharing responsibility for our common mission. Number six, joining dialogue in church and in wider society. Christians have a tendency to kind of wall themselves off in modernity. Uh, number seven, participating in ecumenism. Number eight, each claiming their proper authority and participation. Um, I think that's interesting how that's going to flesh itself out. Number nine, being a part of discerning and deciding. Discerning and deciding actually was at the end of Christus Vivit, um, which is um, Pope Francis's encyclical to youth. And he talks about the need for discernment and to decide, to make a decision and to go forward. And uh, lastly is forming ourselves in synodality. Uh, yeah, which which can be taken as like, really, the, you're inventing a word and now the whole church has to deal with this literally invented neologism, new concept. But um, but yeah, we can look at this very positively and going forward, we can, so if you want to be involved, um, email me, mgormley, G-O-R-M-L-E-Y, at ap.church. Um, we're going to start in February doing our sit-downs and codify all the data and all that stuff and then send it to the diocese by the end of February because all of this has to be sent to Rome in March. Yeah, I know. And then they're going to do a synod on synodality. Meanwhile, Germany's going nuts. <laughs> Germany's going nuts. Hey, so what other stuff do we have going on in the old life of the church? Life of the church, we've got our classes starting up. You can go to ap.church slash events uh, and take a look at what classes, Bible studies, et cetera. You know, when you go to that page, it takes you to our church center events page. Yeah, that's right. Where everything's loaded. And there's a little drag down menu that you can click and it'll like narrow all the options. It's a good thing to click. Yeah, to yeah. Click. So explore that website. I mean, I, I just encourage everyone to uh, subscribe to the Flock Note and visit ap.church slash events. That, those are where we keep yeah. our stuff that's coming up in the next week. So um, dive into that. Uh, in other news, our chapel has bricks. Whoa! Kind of cool. Um, nice. You go back there. Last I checked, it's like uh, halfway up the... Man, that's awesome. Yeah, halfway up the wall. Beautiful red bricks. It's going to be so hard for us now seeing a bricked exterior... And not wanting to go into that thing, but yeah, the interior, the interior will take is very months. unfinished. <laughs> it, it, there was it a, is just a slab of concrete. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got my nice business shoes all muddy when I went back there. <laughs> I always feel like such a <laughs> when I go back in there with my my slacks on and my brown you know shoes and and all these man's men are are working away. I feel like <laughs> like very out of place. Get out of here, little boy. Men are working. You guys have any uh, aprons? I could. I'm getting my shirt dirty. I need something to cover up. <laughs> Does anyone have a Tide pen? I got some mud on my tie. <laughs> so uh, that is very exciting um, that the, the chapel, yeah, coming soon. That's all I got. Mike, what about you? I'm excited coming up. What do we have in the world of faith formation? Uh, we're going to do a parish mission. Father Jesse is going to lead it. It's going to be the first Sunday, Monday of Lent. Um, and then uh, Ash Wednesday is early this year. It yep. is an early Ash. First Wednesday of uh March. Yeah. We're going to have a wonderful vocations thing for, uh, just stay tuned to your bulletin, but if you think that you might have vocation to the priesthood, religious life, uh, Father Jesse wants to meet and talk and all that good stuff, that'll be February 25th after the 10 a.m. Mass. So we'll do a 10 a.m. Mass with lunch to follow. Um, again, you can reach out to me, mgormley, at ap.church, and I would love to give you more details. And stay tuned to the bulletin, because it is all in there now. So really it's is. great. Yeah. It's packed. Okay. Thanks for listening, guys. Mike, thanks for coming on. Hey, I love you. Oh. Hey, you know what you didn't talk about today, Nate? 
You didn't mention once the fact that you're married. Incorrect. The priesthood exists as a share in the bishop's authority. I do know this because on the day before my wedding, <laughs> I am married uh, still. We ought to have a podcast about the marriage on marriageality. Oh, I would love to. All right. Adios, y'all. Party people.